Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you feel like your allergies are having a comeback tour and you want relief quickly, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny, and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Charlie, today we delve deep into a song that is making its way up the Billboard charts by... A young artist named Sean Mendes. It's called If I Can't Have You. And I'm interested in this song not only because it has one of the funkiest, catchiest hooks I've been exposed to in a long time, yeah. but because it masters one of uh, the dark musical arts that we have yet to really discuss on this show. What's that? And that is Declamation. Ah, yes. I would say what's that, but I actually think I know what it is. Well then, Charlie, I'll put you on the spot. And please, like spelling bee style, give me a definition for declamation. Declamation. It is the way in which music and words are set to each other. Great. Beautiful. Wow. Excellent. Yay, I passed. I'm, I'm actually very impressed. Okay, so... Even though declamation might sound like a very technical, high concept and kind of, you know, irrelevant maybe aspect of music, I think by the end of this episode, you'll see that is actually a core part of how we appreciate a song. First, let's listen to the chorus of this track, If I Can't Have You. I can't write one song that's not about you. Can't drink without thinking about you Is it too late to tell you that Everything means nothing if I can't have you Alright, now before we even get to the way the song uses declamation, the way it sets words to music, let's just talk about some of the other effects that make this such an undeniable earworm. Well, one of them is what we just listened to, the chorus, which is the very first thing we hear in this song. Ah, chorus at the top. I think he performed it on Saturday Night Live. And upon the first time I heard this chorus, which is the intro, I was like, oh, that is a jam. And it's been in my ear ever since. It belongs to a rare class of pop song where you only need to be exposed to the chorus one time and it will get stuck in your head. It is intense virality. It spreads quickly. I'm going to stop using all these disease metaphors now because I actually think it's a great song. Okay, so why is this song so effective? This chorus that we start out with is really big and brash and confident. Yeah. So the first thing I think is like, okay, it grabs us, but then immediately when the verse starts, the whole energy level drops way down. Let's have a listen. Everything means nothing if I can't have you. I'm in Toronto and I got this view, but I might as well be in a hotel room, yeah. It doesn't matter cause I'm so consumed, spending all my nights reading texts from you. 
This is classic Sean Mendez. Yeah, and there's only one way to go from here, and that's up. The energy just needs to increase. Also, shouts out to Toronto, a city that doesn't get nearly enough love <laughs> in the pop canon, in my opinion. Okay, now the pre-chorus starts to raise the energy level, and Charlie, I want you to pay particular attention to what happens at the very end of this section. Sure. That I hate to admit But everything means nothing if I can't have you Oh, this is cool. We get almost a, a hint of the chorus to come. He says the title of the song. Yes, okay, but it's not the exact same melody that we heard in the chorus. It's very reminiscent. Let's play them back to back. First the pre-chorus and then the chorus. Okay. That I hate to admit But everything means nothing if I can't have you Okay, what stands out as a big difference here? Two things. One, different register of voice. In the chorus, he's much higher up. He has an angelic voice. Second is that it's pretty clear that Sean Mendez wants us to pay attention to these words. They're extremely important. I think this is a very deliberate decision made by the songwriters. Sean Mendez, Teddy Geiger, Scott Harris, and Nate Mercereau, because the song is a great example of using, you know, an economy of material to generate a really effective pop song. Hmm. So we're hearing this melodic line in a low register at the end of the pre-chorus, and then we're hearing it in a higher register at the end of the chorus, which we already got at the very beginning of the song because it started with the chorus. So we're really getting this kind of drilled into our brains, and it is the central message of the song. Everything means nothing if I can't have you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely in my head. As I said, this is a song that it, it doesn't go away. Now, another important part of this little tag here is the way he's pronouncing, the way he's declaiming the words here. And we're going to get to that. But there's one other place that we hear them, one other place in the song that hammers home this central message. And that's the bridge. I'm trying to move on, forget you, but I hold on. Everything is nothing. Everything is nothing, babe. I'm trying to move on, forget you, but I hold on. Everything means nothing if I can't have you now. Smart. Oh, it just keeps coming back in all these variations. Yes, everything means nothing, everything means nothing, and then at the end, that tagline again, that now iconic kind of tag, yeah. which takes us into the final chorus. Before we get to that final chorus, though, like let's hit pause for a second. Okay. So we've talked about how this song is really effective because it has this really confident, brash chorus, and then it drops down energy in the verse, and it reuses melodic material over and over to make sure that it really gets stuck in your head. At the same time, you find kind of feel the energy cresting upward, and then you get that payoff of the familiar melody. Mm -hmm. mwah, mwah. Brav bravissimo. <laughs> this is great stuff. And yet, I think there's one other thing here that is part of why it's so successful, and that brings us back to Declamation. <laughs> it's been declared. Okay, let's focus in on the chorus, and we'll listen to the penultimate chorus this time. And as we do, let's just think about how they are setting words to music. Everything means nothing if I can't have you. 
Oh my gosh, that is such a great down chorus. It's really cool, right? I feel like his voice is actually even more ecstatic at yes. this moment. Like you can hear it's almost like he's running while singing this and all of his breath is being spent on every single word. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And let's talk about those words. Like not just the content of them or the melody of them, but actually the rhythm of them, how they're laid out. I can't write one song that's not about you. That's a really beautiful line. And the way it's set, it highlights every single lyric. Like every yeah. single word gets its own little place in the narrative. Yeah. Everything is landing basically on the downbeat, except for that one little syncopated moment. Yeah. So that's one part of declamation. But the other part that I really want to dive deep into right now is accent patterns. I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's not it's not something we necessarily, you know, consciously think about as we're listening to music like, oh wow, Sean, your accent pattern on that chorus was just <laughs> lovely. But it's a huge part of the way we understand music, especially in terms of how music relates to speech. How a musical text reflects the way that you would say it just in conversation. I'm not sure I follow. I know this is this is complicated stuff and I appreciate <laughs> that you're being honest about your inability to keep up. <laughs> because, because okay, so here's an example like what if I didn't pronounce that line the way that I would just speak it to you? Like I can't write one song that's not about you. I changed the accent pattern on one word. Did you notice that? At the very end, it's not about you. Right. So the word about has, or about as our friend Sean might pronounce it, has a very clear accent pattern. It goes unstressed, stressed, about. Right. So the, so the accent, the stress is on the second syllable of that word. Right. And if you do it backwards, it almost sounds like Siri getting things wrong when it's read back to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little robotic and just like there's something slightly inhuman about the way when you said it wrong yeah and this goes for any regular word that you might use in a sentence suddenly <laughs> becomes very strange when mispronounced you know it's just like it's very it makes it's very uncomfortable i think if someone started speaking to you that way deeply what has someone done with nate where is he what has happened and yet the same rules do not necessarily apply in music you can change the accent patterns of very familiar words, hmm. and all of a sudden when you sing them, we don't have that same reaction. We don't go like, oh, what's wrong with Nate? You know, <laughs> music can change the declamation of words in ways that are like transformative. Hmm. And in order to illustrate this, let's step away from Sean Mendes and the genius of If I Can't Have You for a moment. Okay. And let's move to another song that's currently atop the charts. And that's Taylor Swift's You Need to Calm Down. Charlie, let's just listen to the very first couplet of this song. You are somebody that I don't know, but you're taking shots at me like it's Patron. <laughs> somebody. 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 No, no, it's not. Okay, so let's great. You, you, you have ice. You've, you've noticed the right word. Somebody. Somebody. What's the accent pattern in the way we say the word somebody in, in normal conversation? So stress is on some. Stress is on some. Somebody. Yes, exactly. What about when Taylor Swift sings it? 
somebody. No, uh, incorrect. I do not agree. Is it somebody? Yes. Let's, you want to uh, listen one more time? Yeah. You are somebody that I don't know, but you're taking shots at me like it's Patron, and I'm just like, damn. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. It almost has like a Caribbean kind of accent on it. You are somebody. somebody. Glad you said that because that's a whole other aspect to this discussion that we won't really be able to get into in our time we have. But the way that different accents have introduced creative mispronunciation of English words into our pop lexicon is, is like a whole fascinating other discussion that I would love to have someday. Yeah, I feel like in this case, Taylor is just she's just stressing it in a bizarre way, like not trying to imitate another culture, I don't think, though, you know, she's not one to not do that. I think what's going on is that she's trying to get the rhyme with the next phrase, which is, but you're taking shots at me. Oh, somebody, me. Yeah. Right. So she's stressing the rhyme. Like, pay attention. Something's going to rhyme with somebody. Somebody. (laughs) Fascinating. Let's just stick with this word, somebody, for a second, because there's three different ways to accent this word, right? There are three syllables. You can put it on the first syllable the second or the third. We've heard Taylor do it on the third. Yeah. Let's go to another creative mispronunciation of somebody. This is Gautier's Somebody I Used to Know. Okay. What do you think? Which one? First, second, or third? Second, somebody. He gives you like three extra chances too, because he'll say it again. <laughs> second syllable, somebody. Okay, so we've got Taylor Swift, somebody, Gauthier, somebody, and let's see if we can't find someone pronouncing it in the quote-unquote correct way. I found one, but I really had to search. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Mm. Now, the chorus of that song also does the second syllable, with somebody who loves me. So that's also on the second syllable. But if we go to the bridge of that song, we get the accent on the first syllable. All right. Somebody, somebody. I mean, it's almost like she's stressing the first and second. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. (laughs) I mean, which means maybe you could also do somebody. Somebody. (laughs) You could do accents in any permutation on any one of the syllables and multiple accents. Okay, I'm glad you said that because I do have another iconic song featuring the word somebody. Queen's Somebody to Love. I don't even know how to say somebody anymore. (laughs) Okay, so check this out. They start with this breakdown, and then they build it up. And each time here, it's on the second syllable. Somebody, somebody, somebody. Now something's going to happen. They're going to switch the pronunciation. Somebody, somebody, somebody. First syllable accent. 
somebody. <laughs> oh, what's it gonna be? Suspenseful. What is it, Charlie? I'm going to declare that a triple accent at the a end. Triple, the rare triple declamation <laughs> on the word somebody. Every syllable was equally important at the end. Somebody to love. Okay, so we've discussed the, the ways that musicians can creatively mispronounce a single word, somebody, changing the declamation and, and wringing all kinds of different musical meaning out of it. I want to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to do three things to take home this declamation discussion. First, we're going to talk about the history of declamation because this idea of like mispronouncing a word, that's only very recent. Hmm. For a long time, it was completely verboten. Then <laughs> I want to think about like, is this good or bad? Like, as in, should musicians be able to take this kind of license with natural speech? Finally, I want to return to Sean Mendes and think about how he uses declamation to make If I Can't Have You a hit. All that and more <laughs> when we return. Charlie, I'll see you soon. All right. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you have allergies, then I've got a familiar scenario for you. You wake up on a beautiful spring morning and peek outside. You get a feel of that nice breeze, but then you start to feel a little tickle in your nostrils. That tickle is the spring air telling you to go be a hermit and avoid the outside because you'll soon be a sniffling, sneezing mess. But don't listen to it. Allergies suck, but a good nasal spray makes all the difference. I personally learned that I suffer from adult onset allergies, and it's a real bummer. But a good allergy med makes all the difference for my ability to go out in the springtime to smell magnolias, my favorite flower. If you also want relief quickly to get back to breathing in the spring air, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Yes, that's right. It's time for Classical Masters. 
We've heard that musicians can creatively mispronounce words in all sorts of ways, but for a long time, this was not done. Like, this was one of the first things you learned as a musician for centuries, <laughs> was how to properly set music to text so you don't have these kind of embarrassing i mean that, that's how it would have been seen like oh man you know count casualdo he during counterpoint class the other day he made the word somebody sound like somebody it was we all <laughs> laughed it was so embarrassing you know i mean i might be embarrassed if we were having a conversation about declamation i kept calling it declamation that would be a little strange yeah exactly so that's clearly not the case anymore as we've heard through taylor swift when he used in goche so like what changed in order to answer that, I think we need to go back to one of the most famous oratorios of all time, and that's Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. But it's not the famous hallelujah chorus that I'm interested in. It's another air from this multi-part work called The Trumpet Shall Sound. Oh, and it shall. In this piece, we get... A rare instance of Handel using incorrect declamation on a word. Ooh, Handel. You're going to get your knuckles wrapped with a ruler. First of all, let's just listen to it because it's actually very subtle, but it's caused a lot of consternation within Baroque <laughs> musical circles over the year. And the word we're going to be especially interested in is a toughie. It's a big, fat, five-syllable word, and it's incorruptible. Ooh, that's a funky word to put in the uh, <laughs> holiday piece. A lot of it is is liturgical text, Charlie. So he doesn't necessarily oh, yes. have a lot of options here. He has to right. follow the sacred text, you know? I mean, th those texts are all translated. He could have just updated it. <laughs> well, not only are they translated, Charlie, but he is of German birth and he's working in London and trying to write this oratorio in uh -huh. English. So he's got like, he is, yeah, his work is cut out for him. Early, let's listen to how he's corrupted. Okay. Are you not shocked, Charlie? Uh, speechless. I know. Totally stunned. It's flabbergasting. <laughs> he, he sets it incorruptible. Tibble? I think you feed that to your animals. I know. It's just, I mean, ugh, it's, it pains me to listen to. Well, it's particularly bad to mess up incorruptible. Like if you're speaking about the divine and you say divine is incorruptible, you're like, oh, shoot, you really disrespected the divine. That's a very astute observation. And in fact, for one scholar of this Baroque choral music, that is exactly the point. Oh, is Handel like uh, an atheist and trying to insert his <laughs> uh, little rebellious art in the Messiah? I'm pretty sure Handel's a good man of faith, but the idea is that even though the pronunciation can be corrupted, the dead remain incorruptible. Ah, uh, yes, 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 I see. But he's saying the word twice, and the first time he didn't even finish it. Was that right? Or did I hear it not correctly? Maybe hard to hear, but he does finish it, but he has a melisma okay. stretching out one syllable into multiple uh. pitches which kind of obscures it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But, Charlie, we're not done. Other people, people have a lot of opinions about this. The great conductor Nicholas Harnoncourt said that it's not a mispronunciation. It reflects how the English pronounced that word at the time, which was in the French manner, which was very, you know, stylish, I guess, in the early 1700s. <laughs> Incorruptible. Uh, yeah, right, right. 
whatever Handel's intentions, people have found this to be really awkward. And so if you listen to most recordings, I would say like 90% of recordings and performances, they actually change that. They actually correct that little part of the Messiah in order to get the declamation to be more aligned with what the way we would pronounce the word in natural speech. And now you don't even notice. It's perfect. Incorruptible. For sure. And again, it's just such a small difference of one accent, incorruptible or incorruptible. And yet this has become like a huge issue for people. (laughs) You know, I think people should let up because as we're going on this discussion, the grammar police of deciding how people should say certain words seems to be just another way of enforcing forms of cultural normativity. I mean, speech in particular and dialects are one of the the, the clearest ways that people create boundaries between different people. And so if people want to say incorruptible, I'm down. That's cool. Why not? I love that, Charlie. And that becomes a perfect segue for us to time travel through centuries to a modern, iconic mispronunciation of a word. We built sand castles that washed away. What are we hearing here? We're hearing what I think is one of the worst songs ever written by <laughs> Beyonce. What? Wow. I am, are, you, are you serious? I mean, I think the Beehive is going to come for me, but yeah. I'm going to come for you. What are you, what are you even talking about right now? This is the only bad song on Lemonade. <sighs> and it's for me, I was the one that actually told you about this one. I lost it when I first heard the way that she says send castles. And it, it actually like created this like mental rub in my brain. Like the word is wrong and set to the music in the wrong way. And I couldn't, I could never get over it. But Charles, I, I throw your own words back at you that we don't we, we can't be the grammar police. We have to accept unconventional declamation. I think this is the modern incorruptible sandcastles. Like like if we if you can learn to accept and embrace sandcastle, then then you are, are opening your ears to like all kinds of musical invention. It never makes me happy to say it, but I think you're right. And I'm sure there are those out there who are similarly just like grimacing and <laughs> clutching their earlobes as we as we speak because, you know, I don't know, musical theater is a good example. That's a that's a genre where you really need correct declamation. Otherwise, people are going to be like, what? Like literally what is happening right now? Like I can't right, understand right. something. But I don't know. The world of popular music allows for that. And let's bring it all back to Sean Mendes and If I Can't Have You, right? He is using perfect declamation in this chorus. Every word is set firmly on the beat, literally like every pulse of the song. I can't write one song that's not about you. It's perfectly metric. Every word is pronounced the way you would expect it to in natural speech. It's like, I think it's really effective. Why? Because it reflects his determination. Yeah, we can hear that. I mean, even the melody is a single note melody. Everything's on the downbeat. Mm-hmm. Everything is declarative. Yes. Meanwhile, what's happening around him? Let's listen to that chorus one more time. 
have you. So when I said earlier on, this is a classic Sean Mendez song. <laughs> yeah. One of the main things that I think he has perfected is the four to the floor EDM kick drum in an acoustic folky kind of setting mm. that contrasts the idea that you're going to get big, powerful energy with something which is still kind of like restrained and reserved. And especially in the verse, less so than in the chorus, mm. you're like, that kick drum is moving. It's going to do something. And here, I think sort of in the background, there are all of these syncopated elements yes. that are filling in the space between what he's saying. And that creates the energy and build that we we finally get. In the yes, chorus. yes. Snaps, snaps, Charlie. Uh, preach. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is what is so cool about the song is that he, in this crazy syncopated multi-instrumental world, he like has this almost monomaniacal sort of focus and clarity on what he wants. And that's <laughs> you. That's you, Charlie. He wants you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. And then all of a sudden, that, that moment we keep talking about, everything means nothing if I can't have you. At that moment, everything drops away and you can and you can really like feel that palpably, like his sense of clarity and determination and conviction. So declamation is not just like an arbitrary feature, I think, of how we understand music. It's like a core part of the way we react to the song and its message. With a deeper appreciation of declamation, especially in Sean Mendez, I can now start to see the way in which the simplicity of that chorus matches the emotional state that he's in. I mean, as I was saying earlier, like it sounds almost like he's running out of breath. He's sitting every single word <laughs> and all of the air is coming out such that by the end of the chorus, when he when he says that you know, everything would be meaningless if he doesn't have that person, yeah. he's kind of like trailing off as mm. if he's running out of breath. Right. He's, he's stated everything exactly as he means it and he has to catch a breath. Yeah, that's great. That's great. It feels utterly natural in the way that mm. he would speak accepting that there are many ways that he could say this. But in this case, it sounds like Sean Mendes said it. There's one exception to the perfect declamation in this song. Oh, it's a foil. And that is in the second line, can't drink without thinking about you. <laughs> thinking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thinking <laughs> should have the stress on the first syllable, thinking, but instead for him, it's thinking. What if we're having like a think-in where we're all getting together at a think tank and we're going to have a drink, we will drink at the think-in. That's very generous, but I do, I mean, like once again, we're, we're in the, the world of Sam Castle again. Like, does this take us out of the song or not? Does it speak to the message of the song? I don't know. I don't really have, surprisingly, I don't have a thought on that. <laughs> It seems like there are times where people change declamation to match a rhyme, as in the case of Taylor and Sean Mendez. You're right. There's definitely an instance. Drink and think need to rhyme, so he has to put the stress on in. Yeah. In the Beyonce, it seems like she's probably shifting the declamation there so that the stress of the beat of the music hits in the right place in the word. So she had to do sandcastles just so that the whole thing matches where the music is going. It's almost like the music was set and the words had to match it. Mm. So like in either case, we're trying to fit something in a situation that it doesn't quite normally fit. 
it also sounds like there's, I mean, if you look at the Handel and I'm sure countless other pop examples, it can just be a form of creative expression mm. or speaking in the way that you speak. Yeah. You know what? Maybe one way to make a verdict here is to put a call out to our listeners to recompose sandcastles with the <laughs> quote unquote correct declamation. And then we can compare the two and see and see what we think. I'm willing to be won over. Until then, I encourage everyone out there to write to us whenever you find an example of particularly just creative declamation, pronunciation of a word that you never could have imagined and that I would imagine somehow works in, in music. Let's, let's create the compendium of great wild declamation in the world of pop. It will be a playlist we'll call the particular declamation <laughs> playlist. Sounds wonderful. This has been fun. <laughs> Switched on Pop is produced by me, Nate Sloan. And me, Charlie Harding. We're produced by Bridget Armstrong, Megan Lubin, and executive produced by Liz Nelson and Nishat Kurwa. Brent McFarland is our editor and mixer, and Sarah Terry is our community manager. You can find more episodes at switchedonpop.com, on iHeartRadio, Radio Public, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, basically wherever podcasts are found will be there. Don't forget to hit us up on social media at Switched On Pop on Twitter and on Instagram. We would like to hear all of your declamation playlist <laughs> ideas. Playlist ideas. <laughs> There's so many variations. We're going to be back again another week next Tuesday. And until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. One final shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. You know what's a terrible question? What's your favorite part of having nasal allergies? I don't know. Absolutely nothing. Luckily, you might be able to find some relief with Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's astaproallergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.